All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Navigating the Intentional Life. I am Justin Copeland, I am your host. And this platform is something, man, that I got to say, I've been doing it over a year now, and I never, I never get surprised and I get equally as excited with, with everybody that I have sit down and I get to speak to because I am in a fortunate position that by starting this, I get to know people and draw from people that otherwise I never would have, and it only benefits me. And I get that opportunity yet again today uh, with a man that I'll tell you right now, we haven't spoke a ton, just being fully transparent, but I respect the shit out of him uh, for who he is, how he leads his family, what he's doing for other families. And in the, the vein of what navigating the intentional life is about, it's always sharing those stories of, of regular people that are overcoming what life throws, hardships challenges, obstacles, failures. And my guest today has all of that. His story is all of that. He is a, he is a man that is a, uh, you know, first and foremost, he's a father, he's a husband. Um, he's a man that believes in his integrity and his walk leading other men to better lead their families. He is creating, and we joked about this offline that I may get this tongue tied, Parentpreneurs fucking nailed it. He is creating parentpreneurs uh, and in doing that, making a better society around us. The man I speak of is none other than Ian Rush. Ian, what's up, my man? What's happening? So I, I think you hit it right on, this, right on the dot there with the whole parentpreneurs thing. You, you, I'm really you go back and like give yourself a pat on the back or whatever, you know? Bro, I'm fucking really proud of myself right now because I've already done a lot of talking this morning. And even though I'm, I'm, I'm American, I'm a patriot through and through, English is a tough language. And I, I fuck it up constantly. So I appreciate that, that salute because um, it means a lot. But, dude, I, <laughs> like, we just got on. And um, for those that are listening that don't know, like, we, we're on a Zoom right now so we can see each other. He's got a big, beautiful beard. Um, that it's on its way to where maybe in the next 10 years, you're going to be able to have employment at your local mall during Christmas time. Yeah. Maybe be Santa Claus. Um, we're getting the white hairs, man. I freaking, I love it. We joked about that online. And we, what I was going to say to that is like, we got on here, man. We just started going. And I love that shit. Like I, and I knew I had a feeling based on our interactions before that that's how it was going to be. But uh, <laughs> right out of the gate, man, we're going, we're rolling. I, I think, uh, I think when I have conversations, man, like there's no sense in fucking around, you know, there's a, there's a, you might as well just dive right in. And um, that's the way I've kind of treated everything. And it's interesting too. Cause it's like, I, I think about this and I'm like, damn, this is, this is the first podcast I've been on. So <clears throat> yeah. So I'm like left and right, man. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm popping cherries left and right. I just had uh, two guys on that were like, I've never been on somebody's podcast before. <laughs> I'm like, yes, bring you to the dark side. That's, that's how, that's how it, it's funny. Cause it's like, I host, I mean, you've heard me, I've hosted uh, numerous talks on different social media platforms and that kind of thing. And it, but it's like, when it comes to actually being on uh, a sit down podcast, this is the first one, man. So I'm excited to dive into this. Um, yeah, I was going to give that little backstory on that because that is really how I got to know your work. And I believe it was you and I want to say Chris Pick. Am I right yep. on that? 
Yep. I'm getting older as we discussed, so that memory is not as always as strong. But I remember sitting there listening and I ended up getting involved um, with what you guys were talking about. And it was a great chat because it's something that, you know, with the with the Twitter sphere that I'm in, it's a lot about, you know, bettering yourself, but it's around parenting, it's around men going to the, you know, fucking going to the gym or whatever the hell. But you guys were talking specifically on things like what's your routine? And in that routine, how does that how does that fall back into the strategy that you've got? And where do you build your strategy? What are the points that you look at in these priorities to what you're doing on a day to day that is going to make you successful? And so you're not just like, hey, guys, hoorah. You're like, no, no, no. Let's get into the stuff that maybe you don't want to have to look at so much and be intentional and be specific about what you're doing. And, and what stood out besides that for me was I think we got to talking. And you said something like, and maybe I cussed because I don't have a filter. And you're like, fuck yeah, dude, me neither. Like, I'm glad somebody was like, let's, let's, let's break that boundary and let's make this content, you know, explicit. <laughs> so it, it was funny. I remember that conversation um, because I was, so I, I take, I intentionally take off Wednesdays every week and we were doing it on Tuesday nights. And so it was like the end of, it was kind of the end of my work week. Right. And, uh, it was, it was interesting because I'm like, I'm like, man, I, I'm going to start cussing like crazy because I just, I can't hold it in anymore, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and that's, that's, that's just a big part of who I am. It's like, fuck man. Like I, I swear all the time. And it's like, even around my, uh, around my family and everything, obviously not at them. But um, it's just that's that's the language I use. And um, is I think that's where when I when I talk to people, too, I'm like, man, like if you can't handle it, it's okay. (laughs) We're probably either not meant to work together or not meant to talk together. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it it makes me uncomfortable, man, when people are like actually use a good, strong, articulate vocabulary, because I can do that. I can do that when I need to. But it's like, if you don't cuss, you make me a little uncomfortable. It takes me out of my comfort zone when I say fuck and you recoil. Like you could have picked a different word. Just Of course, my grandmother, God rest her, like she was the first one that said, hey, are you stupid? You got to use those words. If you haven't built a big enough vocabulary that you've got to turn to that, you must be stupid. And I'm not raising stupid grandchildren. I always think about that. Like, but it's like, well, grandma, this is this is how we interact. Like, this is, this is what we do. You're just going to have to understand I'm super fucking smart, but I use the F word. You have to get on with it. Occasionally, occasionally I throw in shit or whatever else too. Um, and, and, but I, I think, I think that speaks to where my own background is. It's like, man, like I worked in education for a long time. So it's like, I had to, I had to put a filter on it to an extent, but it's like, even, I was the teacher in the classroom that would consistently get in trouble and be in the, be in the principal's office because I, I really didn't do a good job of keeping my filter on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being that I was teaching a, a class that was not necessarily traditional, I could pretty much get away with it. So, <laughs> so well, there's a career field that makes you want to cuss regularly. Right. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, it's like, man, like once I left the traditional nine to five world, it was like, man, all, all bets are off. (laughs) Dude, and that's, that's where I want to jump right in because 
you know, you've got a very interesting backstory as far as where you were um, out in Hawaii, which I did not, I did not know that. So um, aloha, but you know, the, the change that you made from being in education, you're calling, you know, a regular nine to five, which I, I actually kind of disagree with that. Not that you're wrong, but you know, that's a job that, as we said, like it makes you want to cuss it makes you want to drink. It's, it's a very challenging um, career field. Both of my parents are in it. My dad is currently still a principal. That's what he's been doing. Um, but in that it's a very, it's a challenging field because you're, you're mandated to certain things. You're, ex you're expected to shine through testing and the real, the real educational aspect of it is almost stripped in, in general or government education in ways that maybe private schools don't have to deal with as much, but you and your wife both were doing your thing, had the, the safe jobs, you know, kind of did the, the hamster wheel thing that, that we're put into from high school to going to college to now I'm in this nine to five and I've got to wait till retirement until I can really start living my life. So for, for my listeners and, and anybody, even, you know, your listeners that maybe don't know your backstory, I know you're very transparent on your social media, but give us, give us a little start of the journey as far as where you were at and when that shift really started to, to take place for you and your family out in Hawaii? So I, I think the, the best way to do it is probably to start, you know, start at the beginning, you know, like it, before I even walked into the classroom. Um, so when I, I went out to Hawaii originally for school, um, ended up getting married and having kids. So I stuck around for a while. Um, and uh, when I was, in school, I was uh, I was working for a a prep company that was prepping kids for both high school and college admissions, so private school and college admissions. And um, by the time I graduated school, which is interesting because I graduated with a film degree, and um, I had always been around education though, because my mom she's a former special ed teacher of forty years. And always told myself, like, I am never going to go into education. Not going to do it. Saw what it did on the back end from the home perspective and didn't want to didn't want to do it at all. And um, I'd always had kind of my own like side businesses on the side. Uh, some of them legal, some of them not. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what you're talking about. We, we, we could dive into that on another day. Um, <clears throat> but uh you know, by the time I graduated college, I had two offers on the table and one was to go into an internship. The other was to take over this, um, this tutoring or test prep company, um, and turn it around. Now, had I walked, had I known what I was walking into at the time, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, I, the, the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. And so I got sat down three weeks into the position and the owner's like, Hey, so we're going to go bankrupt. Um, if you don't turn it around. So no and yeah, no big deal. Just nobody's gonna have a job if you don't do yours. Right. And it was, you know, it was, uh, it was a company that was, you know, clearing maybe half million a year and it had 
close to 25 employees. So there's a lot about the math that doesn't add up. And so I went through, um, didn't have really any traditional business experience in terms of leadership, right? I looked at it from a common sense standpoint. It's like, okay, what? It's like the idea is there. You're selling dreams to parents, you know? I'm going to get your kid into school if uh, if they do this this thing. And he was pretty good at it. You know, he had a uh, he had a system down, but he had no other systems for the business. And if you know anything about business and running a business, great businesses are system dependent, not people dependent. Right. And um, so I, I worked on doing that. And in the course of the next 16 months, uh, I turned it into a multimillion dollar business. And, um, but it was, it was a super toxic relationship between me and the owner. Um, and I ended up staying there for five years and just taking that abuse. Um, I got to a point where I was working between 60 and 80 hours a week, um, building this growing company and my daughter, um, was going to be due, um, towards the end of my tenure there. Right. And I was like, man, this is it. This isn't it. Like, I'm not, I can't do this. There's no way I can. I'd have to imagine, like, if you take a company from 500 to multi-million, your, your pay, ideally, in a perfect world. And, and let's, let's go back to this, because this is crazy. It's, it's crazy, but it's not. So you're, you've got somebody, you've got tons of people that are doing it regularly. I mean, in some ways, we're both doing the same thing. Right. The American dream is that you can make money off of the American dream. Right. I can tell you, hey, Ian, if you follow these few simple steps I've outlined, you, you can take vacations with your family to Bora Bora, and you're only going to have to work four hours a day. And this is the concept that I'm selling you. Yes, there is a product to it, but the emphasis, you're creating FOMO in missing out on the American dream. And that's what you're making money off of. And it's crazy. And I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to put a negative spin to it, but there's power in idea. Yeah, absolutely. There's power, there's power in a belief that maybe even the person that you're selling it to needs you to tell them that they can believe it. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, it was. So it many was... people don't go that way. So many people don't do it. Like, look at this story. You go, okay, I, I did my thing. I'm a smart guy. I, 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 I implemented into this company. You called it common sense. I call it uncommon sense because if everybody had it, it, w- it would be common, but we don't. And so, you know, you go, okay, I'm going to jump into the, to the hamster wheel. Right? Yeah. And in that, like my question in all that rambling was you were probably getting compensated fairly well for this. Correct. At this point. So when I first started, I was not getting compensated well, but because I saw the growth and I wasn't going to necessarily back down from what I should earn. I can, I, I think I was consistently renegotiating raises every three to four months. Because <laughs> at first I wasn't getting paid well. And I, I took it as a, I took it as a, well, you know, let me fucking prove it. And it wasn't necessarily, because um, when we sat down, when I sat down with the owner and had that conversation, he's like, he's like, this is where I want to be. Um, cause he said it, he, he wanted to bring in a million dollars a year. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to do this in the next year and a half. I told him straight up in that conversation and I did it sooner. And, um, for me at the time, 
I didn't negotiate a raise at first because I was like, I needed to prove it to myself that I could get the wheels going. And, um, and I did real quick. And we were, we, I think we renegotiated raises every three to four months for like the first year and a half. And then, um, because it was funny, like at first he was, he had me on hourly and, um, and so I was taking overtime and then he finally got smart and he's like, I over hourly, Jesus Christ. And he's like, uh, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on salary. And I was like, oh, you motherfucker, <laughs> you know? So it, it switched to a negotiation of like, all right, we're going to rene- well, he He got smart and he's like, you know, we're going to renegotiate every year. And it's like, I get it. I respect it, whatever. But I, I made sure that I negotiated high every time. Mm-hmm. And because um, I knew what I was going to be putting in. And here's the thing when you work for another person's company and especially something that small and you're working to build it up um you learn the hard way that your ideas are not your own when you put it into a business and um you know i i learned that the hard way you know i i wanted to take some of my ideas with me and i couldn't you know i wanted to take um i wanted to take the the community I would, I had essentially built up around him with me <laughs> into future businesses. And I couldn't, you know? And, um, when I, when I walked away, it was interesting. Cause I was like, I just got fed up. I, I took a vacation. Like <laughs> I took a vacation for like three weeks and it was consistently, my, my job was consistently on the line. He's like, I'm going to fire you for this reason. Like every week. And it, even though I was bringing in results, I was still, getting threatened with my job and I just got fed up. And so, um, I took a vacation for like three weeks after about nine months after my daughter was born and, um, just never went back. I resigned because I got called, I got called with an issue that was way out of my control and I didn't want to clean up the mess again. And I was like, I was like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm like, no, you're going to, you're going to pay me my vacation time. Cause I got about, you know, three or four months of vacation time. So you're going to pay me that and I'm going to resign. And, um, <clears throat> it was, it was an interesting deal, man. Um, but there was a, there was a huge growth process that happened there where I started realizing that I was associating my identity with my position in the workforce. And that's not healthy at all. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> My first thought in, in, in you saying, I just decided in that moment, I'm, I'm resigning. Like this shit's falling at my doorstep. It's not my responsibility to wipe your ass. Like you, you have a responsibility. You, you have, you're a man step up to like, this is not my job almost. <clears throat> Most people probably would have, continued to stay bent over and said, yeah, okay, fine. I'll I'll continue to take that. And so what I, my thought was, man, that takes balls. It's something you've poured yourself into for five years. You've got a family, right? Cause when you, when you have a child, I mean, anybody that's had a kid, the last thing that you want to do shortly after they're born is go, yeah, I'm not going to have a job. 
So check this out. I'll, I'll add a I'll add an extra wrench in there. We had just bought a condo at the time. And so I was like, I was like, I don't, I don't know how we're gonna make payments. I don't know how we're going to solve any of that. And um, so there was that whole other end of it. And he tried to continue to put the responsibility for whatever the problem was at the time on me. And it was interesting because like I went in to talk my resignation. He's like, well, here are my options. Either I can give you a pay deduction or you can um, you, you can step down into a lesser role. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm out. I was like, I, I don't even understand where this problem came from. So we're good. You know, now you're you've got what you say, she, your, your daughter, right? Yeah. Six months old, you said at this point. Yeah, so she was um, she was uh, about nine months old. Nine months old. How long have you been married at that point? I've been married close to two years. So two years in, and I, I I'm intentional with this this question because you know you just but you just buy a condo. You've been married for a short amount of time. You've got a very young daughter, and and realistically, what's happening here is your bills are increasing, but your job is diminishing. Where, where did your wife stand in, in all of this? Where was she at as far as seeing you go through this, seeing you fighting this and, and taking the stand? Where was she at in that process? So she wanted me to leave for a long time, mm. you know? Um, but I think when it comes to those situations, you really have to see it for yourself and see it through. And it's like, I, I can't tell you at the time, I couldn't tell you what was keeping me there. Um, I can't, I can now. Um, and a lot of it goes back to um, my own childhood, you know, like I had, I had, uh, I had a different relationship with my parents and, um, and it forced me to take some abuse and not stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. And so when you're put in those situations from a work perspective and you're expected to comply and expected to conform and work within the box you are given. And while I was very creative within that box and pushed a lot of boundaries, um, there was still that, you know, the, that uh, that relationship you have to work through, and um, and she knew it, and she's she was very supportive of me leaving, um, and it was interesting because I went through a period where I was just I was straight up depressed, man, because while I was happy I had broken free, there was so much of my identity that had been instilled into I run a fucking business and I do good at it um that I had lost a lot of who I was as a person yeah and it's interesting because I'm the type of person or I was the type of person that would just bury myself in work whenever I was having a mental issue or whatever it is something that emotional issue that was coming up okay cool I'm gonna go on to the next project and we'll forget about it And, um, it's interesting because I ended up saying, all right, you know what, I'm going to try this teaching thing out. 
I think I can, I think I can correct the school system from the inside out. And I was naive enough to think that that was going to be an easier job Mm -hmm. uh, going into it. And um, so that's, that's really where that, that transition happens where I was like, I had that period off. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go teach. I've been in education for a minute. I'm going to go teach. There's, there's a lot of power in what you said. And, you know, we, we kind of had a, a basis, but as anybody that listens to navigating the intentional life knows it's the most formal informal podcast around because <clears throat> you kind of just let it go where it needs to go. And, and with that, the, the, the comment that you made about childhood, obviously you and I both are big about how we parent. And I know I fail in that aspect too often, but it is important for both of us to, to us to become the best parents possible that we can be um, the best men that we can be. And, you know, the, the point on this is I don't think a lot of us, especially as men realize just how deeply and, and, and women too. I mean, it's, but men, we carry it differently in that our childhood trauma or our childhood, how deeply it impacts who we become as men. And that needing to self-identify, that needing to comply for a certain outcome, you know, is something that a lot of us, that a lot of us struggle with. And I, you know, I don't want to dive into it too much on the, on the, the very first one. I don't want to take you into uncomfortable waters, but, you know, it just, it's, it's such a powerful thing that I think a lot of us don't face enough. We don't dive into enough. We don't want to take that uncomfortable look at, where really was I impacted here? And how is that now impacting what I'm doing with my own wife and with my own kids and with my friendships and with my work? Because the other point that I'm making that is that needing to identify through your job, but also that being compliant for a certain outcome because of your upbringing directly impacts where you're sitting at now or then specifically um, to say, I've got to see this through and I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure why I need to see this through, but I need to see it through. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's this other deeper thing, but you stay stuck in it. And my first thought was, you know, women tend to be a lot smarter than us when it comes to certain situations, right. Or maybe all of them, but they, t- it seems like, it feels like they tend to see a situation before we do because our pride and our ego and that need to identify as a certain style of man clouds what we already know that we know, right? It's whether we admit it or not. And they see it like, hey, and that's why I specifically asked about your wife, because also there's got to be credit to that support as well, right? 100%. I mean, 100%. I think often we get a little, uh, we get a little caveman and want to beat our own chest for these things that we've done and overcome. And it's like, Hey, bro, let's be real, though. You got a wife behind you. There's power there. There's a lot of power there. Oh, and I think there's, um, you know, like, I, I think it goes both ways when it comes down to it. Right. So my my wife. Um, unfortunately, she went through a very rough childhood as well, and um, it was very different. Um, she spent most of her life on the run from her father because her father was a meth addict and 
they literally went from housing project to housing project. She saw some things that she should have never saw um, <clears throat> growing up, her and her brother and her sister. And uh, so there were certain things that she was in touch with um, emotionally and mentally that I wasn't yet. Um, and so when you talk about like seeing, seeing things ahead of time, you know, she was able to recognize different patterns in me, but at the same time, it was like, I was able to recognize certain patterns in her that weren't working as well, you know? And I think until, especially when you're in a relationship, when you're in a relationship, it's about having those hard conversations and sitting down and leaving your ego aside and saying, hey, this is my baggage. I'm going to pour it all out here. And either you're going to really like what you're seeing and say, hey, let's fucking keep going here or, um, or it's going to go the opposite direction. And until you have those hard conversations, I don't really believe that you can have a fulfilling relationship Um, because it it comes down to being open, honest, open and transparent with each other from the shit you went through to the shit you're going through now. Spot on. And um that was that was the thing that's that's really like kept us solid through all of it is that we've um we've spent a lot of time giving or giving each other that space now while at first it wasn't always that way mm. it definitely wasn't that way um but there's there's a lot of things that happened especially in the last you know five years where we were like like hey we got to reevaluate we got to reevaluate how this is all, how this is all working together. Otherwise this is going to be a train wreck and we're just going to keep riding the train until it, you know, goes off the cliff. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of power in what you're saying because it's not just saying, Hey, here's, here's my trauma. Here's my baggage. You know, I think those words are fairly interchangeable when it comes to us as humans. Right. That's what it means. You know, I think a lot of times when it comes to relationships, especially, you know, once you, you know, if you're, if you're like me, you hit, you hit single life at 30, you know, plus years old, you people you meet, they've got kids or if they don't have kids it's because they've been married to their job. Okay. Well, there's baggage there. Right. Yeah. But it's typically equated to like, what, like, do they have kids? Do they not have, they had divorces. Have they not, but it's it, baggage is that trauma that we carry. So it's, it's laying that on the table and saying, here it is. This is, this is me. And having that, that bravery to be that transparent, but also not wasting time. You hear people say that all the time. Like, I don't want to waste time. I don't want you to waste mine. I don't want to waste yours. If they are, get rid of them. But you've got to dig deeper than that. And then what I want to add to what you're saying is not only is it important to be that transparent, but then also understanding how to help that person or be there for that person when it comes to that trauma, when it comes to that baggage, because then you can start to understand how they operate. What are their triggers? What are the mechanisms that they're utilizing to overcome or to deal with or cope with? And from there, that that's when you can really start to have some growth. That's where you can really start to get into areas of a relationship where I believe 
people don't do what you're talking about. And that's why the relationships fail. They kind of want to keep it at the surface level, the surface value, or maybe they have some in-depth conversation, but that real nitty gritty, they're afraid of it and they don't. No. And I mean, it's, there's, there's a, there's a caveat to that. Right. And, um, I think when you start opening, opening that bag, right. And this is, this is what really happens, right. If you refuse to open that bag of trauma, mistreatment, whatever it is, whatever it is you're holding on to, you're going to keep running into those patterns in different ways. It's, it's going to keep confronting you in life. And when you're in a relationship and you choose to open that bag or that bag of whatever it is, um, I think it's okay for people to say, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this, you know? And, but it's obviously something that I would love to see in relationships be done earlier than later. Some people get, you know, 10, 15 years into it and they start really having those in-depth real conversations. And they're like, wow, I, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this at all. <laughs> and a lot of times that's when you have, you know, you have kids in the mix, you have, um, you have a marriage in the mix, you have things that have um, already transpired, transpired, maybe a life that's been built. And while it's not, um, it's not always the best outcome that you would want, right? It's, it's still okay to say, Hey, I don't want to do this, you know, and not feeling shame in that process. Um, because let's face it. Some people are just not meant to, meant to do that for each other. And, and that's, that's fine. I think a lot of people get, um, get shamed and get feel guilt when they, when they finally figure it out and they're saying, I don't want to, this is not how I want to spend my life. And um, I don't think that should be a part of the process at all. Now, there's something that, that came from that. And obviously, you know, when we started this again, you know, not necessarily what we had planned, the direction of this to go, but hey, but I'm reading this book. It's called The Power of Attachment. <clears throat> it, is, it is based around somatic psychology and, you know, just this trauma and healing. But one of the great lines from it that, that I think is valuable to what you're saying is that, you know, we're damaged in relationship and we heal in relationship. If you like think about that. that way, we're damaged in relationship, which could be very much a past tense, right? It's that baggage we're discussing. And the other side of that is in relationships nowadays, there's going to be damage that's done. You're going to have things that happen. Life continues to happen. But if you apply these things that you're speaking of and the contingency is correct with the couple, there's that healing as well that can happen in the relationship because it opens that. And it's a great segue back into your story of the moment of this, you know, your story of, you know, you, you've stepped away from this job, condo, wife, house, decided you're going to then step into education of all things. She's like, I was making really good money. You know where I'm going to make more money? Education. That's where I'm going to make ends meet is education. So you step into that. Let's, let's roll with that, Ian. Yeah. So um, 
my my wife was actually she was already teaching at she was teaching video production so we met in film school and um she was teaching video production at the high school and in the area we were in and the middle school had lost its teacher about a about a year earlier well he'd been dismissed for some inappropriate behavior with students and um so there was a lot of deep-rooted um, issues in that, issues of trust in that area. And honestly, like, I did not want to teach middle school um, because I was like, man, that's like taking a step back. I don't know if I can do all the, all the, the, the humor and whatever else. And it's like, and I was like, you know, it, it, it became actually one of the best positions for me, um, working with those, that age group. Um, but again, I, I poured myself into a program and picked up a pattern that I hadn't broken yet. And so I started taking a, the video production program that was at that middle school and partnered up with my wife in that process where we had built a program um, over a, basically a three-year span that went from middle school all the way to college. So kids could actually get early college degrees in production and in creative arts. And so we we're, were really proud of that. We were, we were like, you know what, this is how we're going to change the system. This is how we're going to offer different solutions for, um, <clears throat> for other uh, for kids that are in a high risk community, because that's where we were at. So I went from, it's interesting, I went from working with private school students, so very high end families, to a high risk community where it's extremely low income families mm -hmm. um, and just all kinds of other issues. Like my, um, my, my, my classroom basically, it backed up against one of the, toughest projects in Hawaii. And my, my wife actually spent a lot of her childhood in that project. Um, so it was interesting coming to that community and providing something different and really rebuilding it into something that was amazing, you know? And uh, I took that program and made it into uh, a national award winner um, for video production. and. We created all kinds of after-school programs and, you know, and just took it, took it and ran with it. You know, a lot of people hear about, you know, there's all these movies out about, you know, teachers stepping into these high, you know, high-risk areas and, and um, kids that are dealing with poverty and all kinds of things at, at levels that can't be fathomable. You know, even for somebody like myself um, who grew up, you know, fairly, you know, we, were, we weren't, we were poor, but... I still had food, you know, my clothes fit me. I wasn't wearing hand-me-down shoes that were two sizes too big. Um, I knew when I came home at night that I was going to have a meal on the, on the table of some kind. Uh, I didn't live like that by any stretch of imagination, but these kids, even in my area, my, my father was a principal at a school well, that where that's what they were dealing with. Like the one warm meal they might've gotten that day came from the school that they were going to. And, and I specifically made some of those points because that's what he dealt with. And the overall point, the biggest thing is 
a lot of people don't understand the toll that that takes on a lot of these educators. Because here's the thing, it's no secret. Teachers are getting a lot of shit these days. You know, there's a lot of negative kind of connotation because of the way the school systems go because of government education. And look, some of it is necessary. Some of it is, is definitely uh, earned, but they're like anything. There's, there are these spots like what you're talking about where they absolutely should shine. You know, they're incredibly challenging, life altering, life damaging even positions because of what you have to see because of what other people are having to go through and you're getting paid beans to do it. You know what I mean? Like let's, again, we're not going to sugarcoat that shit. Like I joked, it's not like you went into it because like, Hey, I'm going to make money this way. The other side of this too, I wanted to point out now, this is kind of switching gears a little bit because I actually had the, the thought earlier and I just remembered it, but you talked about pouring yourself into your work. In a way, that's a that's a that's kind of a uh, I don't know what the correct terminology is, but that's kind of a, an addict's mind, right? That's kind of a form of an addiction. It just it doesn't get the publicity that say if I were to be you know smacking meth or an alcoholic that that kind of attention is going to get for for obvious reasons. But that mentality is almost like a really sly cancer. It's going to take time before those symptoms start to show. Whereas me, you know, if I'm an, if I'm an alcoholic, I can have one bad night and it fucks everything up. But that diving into work and I, you know, again, I'm not saying this is necessarily right. I'm challenging this thought process with people need to be very aware of how they're coping with the things that are happening with their life. You know, Cause like you said already, Hey, I dove into this because this is this program I'm passionate about it, but you kind of gave it that spin of it wasn't necessarily healthy because I was avoiding something. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, while, um, while I enjoyed working with those kids, um, it was, I was, I was, I was, again, I was working too much. You know, I wasn't taking summers off. Like, and I think that's like, the, the misconception with teaching. Um, a lot of people believe, oh, well, you have summers off. No, you fucking don't. You do not have summers off. Summers off are for the teachers that literally don't give a shit. Um, and that's, that's just being honest. You are grinding to make sure that you are performing the best that you can in the classroom each year. You're adjusting curriculum. You are going to workshops. You are doing what you can to make sure that there is a clean line of development in your process. Right. And so I, I think that's, that's, that's where it comes down to. And you talk about like the addicts mindset. And one of the things that there's, there's a, uh, there was something that a friend told me um, a few months back is that you're not a workaholic. You just have, you just have poor boundaries between work and life, you know, because a lot of people wear workaholicism as a badge. I'm a workaholic, you know, like I get shit done. It's like, no, you just don't have boundaries <laughs> and you don't, you don't understand what that's going to end up doing to you mentally, physically, and emotionally 10 years down the road. And, um, <clears throat> and it's, it's interesting deal. Cause like we, 
you talk about the symptoms, right? Well, the symptoms started showing up for us. So before our last year of teaching, going into that summer, we found out that we were pregnant with our second child. And um, we were super stoked, but we were, you know, we were still working all summer. And um, unfortunately, two, about two weeks before the school year started, uh, we lost a child. And um, instead of taking the time to really heal through that pain, we buried our heads. And, you know, our daughter was upset. We were upset, but we, we kept going. And um, it was interesting because we go, you go through new, like you go through teacher orientation the first two days of, of school when you come back because they want to go through all the different processes. You got to watch videos that are mandatory by the state and all this stuff. And then they got to this part in orientation where they, they started going through AED uh, training and they're talking about symptoms of a heart attack. And I felt like I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so I turned to my department head and I was like, yo, I need to go to the hospital right fucking now. And um, <clears throat> I was having a severe anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I get to the hospital, my blood pressure is through the roof. My heart rate is out of control. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm probably pretty close to the heaviest I'd ever been um, because I just, I lost, I lost control of my health. Mm-hmm. And um you know, Doc is like, you know, what's going, what's going on right now? Has there been anything that's happened recently? I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had, we had a miscarriage two weeks ago and, um, <clears throat> you know, we had, we had, we've had all kinds of other shit come up with administrators that have um, demanded certain things of us. And he's like, yeah, you're, um, you're, you're showing signs of burnout. I was like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. You know, and I, they're like, well, this is, these are the symptoms. This is what you need to do. I'm like, so you're telling me I just need to like take some time off. And, um, and they're like, they're like, no, like you need to do more than that. And I, you know, I walked out of the hospital thinking, all right, like, all right, cool. I got it identified and I'll just, you know, I'll keep working. I'll be fine. I'll deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, you know, we got around two or three months into the school year. And my wife was not getting along with a temporary administrator that had been put in place of her department. And she was uh, verbally assaulted in her classroom in front of students. And um, it triggered uh, CPTSD. And so we pulled her out of the classroom indefinitely. And, you know, those quick little events triggered a whole chain of events for us to start saying, this isn't it. Um, And so we pulled her out of the classroom. And quite frankly, I was extremely concerned um, because she was showing signs of severe depression and and anxiety, and I wasn't sure what I was going to show up to every time when I came home. Right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we, our daughter was really unhappy with going to her preschool, and we were um, 
we were already kind of throwing around the idea of homeschooling. And, um, and there was just one morning where my daughter was just battling us. And like, you know, that inner parents mind is like, there's something off. Like I can't place it. I don't know why she's not, um, why she's responding this way, but I'm going to go with it and say, I just told her, I was like, fuck it, keep her home. And, um, so we, we started homeschooling at that point, our daughter, and that honestly, that probably saved my, my wife's life. And, um, so we, we started making decisions from that point on based on who we were instead of what the expectation of society was. Mind you, this was pre-COVID. And so we went from homeschooling to saying, my wife was like, she was uh, throwing around this idea with me. She's like, hey, you know what? I really want to try unschooling with her. I don't think this whole like systemized system, systemized uh, work is going to work for her. Like she just doesn't work that way. She's highly creative. She loves art. She loves these different things. She loves to explore. And when you throw kids into a system like that, especially when they're extremely creative, it starts killing their creativity and their curiosity. We saw it firsthand from working in the classroom. And so, mind you, at the same time, and I didn't mention this, is that year, that last year, I had started a master's program on a whim thinking, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to bury my shit. I'm going to bury my shit and I'm going to get my master's. What's that? You're like, I need to do more. You know, like exactly. I've already got enough on the plate, but I feel like I've got a little bit more room. Right. And so I, I started getting my master's in, um, I got my master's in education and career and technical education. So basically I learned how people operated within the workplace and was able to teach them how to work and realized very quickly because I shifted my focus to cover um, childhood trauma because I wanted to understand my wife's trauma. I wanted to understand how I could show up better as a partner. And through that process in that year, I started realizing like, holy shit, I'm pretty fucked up too. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so we, uh, we got to a certain point in the school year and we had already said, okay, we're going to sell our house. We're going to get out of here. And, and, and I was still kind of like on this fence of, Am I going to go back to education after we, after we move and figure it out? And um, I had this student that came up to me and was like, hey, mister, um, you know, you're consistently pushing us to follow our dreams. When are you going to follow yours? I remember, and, you, I remember you putting that tweet up. This is, again, just going back to damn social media. But I remember you saying that. I remember thinking, you know, it's amazing what, what kids – can bring to our lives. I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet, but that moment, that's that big, like fucking light bulb moment, kicking in the dick, kind of like, Hey, wake yep. up. Cause at this point, at this point, you know, like the way I see it being on the outside is like your, your life is kind of like golden corral. Like you just got everything out. It's a big mix of different things. And you're just kind of going down the line of like, Hey, I'll take some of that. I'll put this on my plate. I'll, I've got this happening, but I'll go ahead and put some of that on my plate. And what's, 
what's what's great about this and what I love where I know you know the story is going is kind of like instead of doing the golden corral thing you're now starting to look at how do I how do I streamline this you know how do I take care of my wife and my daughter better and these are things again people miss they just go with the flow and they don't understand why anything's you know nothing's changing why the herd is still there why why the why the communication that used to be so great is now dwindling because you're not you're not stepping up to the things that are happening you're not raising the standard but this is where you're this is where you're starting to shift and i and i love the thing about the zoom with this too because i can also see within your body language like how this part of the story really it's deep for you man like it's deep it's a challenging aspect of your life and you're kind of looking back at it going fuck that was big yeah it's you know it's interesting because i've tried um i've written out a lot of pieces of this because i think eventually i'll probably throw it into a book at some point um but whenever i look look back at these points it's there's there used to be a line of resentment that because i was like man my life was fucked and because it was just completely unraveling but in all reality it was exactly what needed to happen at that time and when you can get to that point with whatever you're going that's when you know you're you're starting to turn that corner and um for me you know we we did a hard reset man like we were living in hawaii at the time we sold 80 percent of our belongings <laughs> we sold our house we dropped our jobs we um you know we we completely dismantled everything and um we, we took it even further with our, with our daughter as well. We said, hey, like, if school isn't going to be the way that we want to go with her, what is the direction we want to take with her? And so we, we actually landed on unschooling, which is a completely different mindset. And it's actually what we're going through as, as adults right now. So there's a whole process within it where um, it's called de-schooling. So essentially what you're, t- what you're doing is you're deprogramming all the shit that you've been given and you're taking it from the perspective of, okay, what makes sense to me to focus on and how am I going to learn along the way? Cause if you look at life in general, right, this is what we realize as, as teachers and as parents and everything is like, okay, what worked for me, what was in my childhood is not what I want to give my child. What was in my wife's childhood is definitely not what I want to give my child. You know, and so how do we make it for them? Like, how do we, how do, as parents, how do we make that for them? And so we, we took the unschooling approach because it allows her to focus on passions. And it completely took the structure out. Because when you think about work or anything that you do in the world, subjects aren't split up. You don't have, you don't open your day with, okay, well, I'm going to do English for three hours today. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to do math for an hour because I got to do finance and shit. You know, that's, that's not the way it works. And so we, we started focusing that way and realizing like, Hey, like these timelines for when 
kids need to learn to read or learn to write or whatever. They're bullshit. They're high pressure points that are based on a concept of education that was developed during the industrial revolution to pump out kids to work at factories. And we realized that we were a product of that. So there was, there was a big part of that where we said, Hey, you know what? We need to look at our own lives first. And so when we ripped that bandaid off, um, we spent a good 18 months and just disappeared. And so we moved to Oregon. And one of the biggest things that for me is that I felt like a failure because we were actually moving back in with my parents for a while. And as someone that was 30 at the time, I can, I'm sure you can understand like how that, how that feels. It's like, like, damn, I'm moving home. And I told myself when I left at 18 that I was never fucking coming back. Yeah. And so it became a, a huge stepping point for me too, because I had to face all the shit I grew up with and really attack that from the heart in order for me to grow and move forward. And, um, we realized really quickly, like the type of parents we wanted to be, the type of people we wanted to be. And, um, you know, there was, there was this moment I, I told, um, I'd always told my wife, I like, Hey, I want to, I want to get paid to write and I want to get paid to help people. Right. You know? And so I started freelance writing and, um, there was this day after we had moved to the Oregon coast where I was sitting there writing and my, my daughter came up and she sat on my lap and she's like, She's like, you know, daddy, I'm, I'm really happy for you. I'm like, why is that? <laughs> you know, like what, what makes you so happy? And she's like, she's like, because you seem happy right now. Because you seem happy that you are, that you are doing something that you enjoy. And when your kids are small, it's like, you know, like they, they don't have a filter. Mm-hmm. They don't have, um, they don't have like any sort of thing holding them back, especially when you're, you're fostering an environment for them to really, you know, grow. And because um, we took that perspective as parents and said, you know what, like, I don't want to put her on a timeline. I don't want to give her all these crazy rules that were given to me. And, um, and we, t- we took a lot of time to rebuild our relationship. Um, I didn't have the best relationship with my daughter when we left. Because I was more focused on work than I was at what was on my family. Right. And so when we took that step back, um, it was a it was a huge holistic process where I was like, damn, like we're not even gonna do school. We're not even going to do any of this shit at first. We're gonna simply focus on who we are as a family unit. And then we can say, all right, when we're ready to start working, we'll, we'll be ready. And at first we, we said, we're, you know, we're going to give us six months. And um, because we gave ourselves a timeline again, we gave us ourselves a time limit. Mm-hmm. We started putting pressure on ourselves and we realized like, holy shit, like we got to stop doing that. Like life is meant to happen 
as it happens, not on a specific time. And like, of course, there was there was concerns about, okay, how are we going to pay off student loans? How are we going to pay off this? What is what are the financial aspects of this? And we realized real quickly, like, well, shit, it's going to work out. Yeah. Whatever's going to happen is going to work out, you know, and um, it was a complete mindset shift for us to go through that process. And we found out about a year after we had moved that why my daughter was so angry about going to preschool and so scared of going to preschool was because the teacher had laid hands on her. And she was afraid to tell us because she had been told not to tell us. But if we had not spent that time to foster that relationship, if we had not spent that time to take a step back, we probably would have never known. And um, I think that's telling of, you know, just kids in general when it comes to their parents. I think a lot of kids, when they act up, when they, they're trying to tell their parents something and parents write it off as like, you're fine. Damn, like take a step back and fucking listen. They're probably not fine. Right. You know, and um, that, was, that was a tough realization for us. It was a huge thing that I had to swallow because I'm like, oh, my God. My kid was in danger and I didn't know because I wasn't listening. And so there, there were so many aspects to that. And when we started falling into our own and started really making these decisions um, to say like, Hey, we're, we're going to build the life that we want. We're going to build the life that we envision. That was, that was the big turning point. There's so there's so much there, man. Like, I think, I think it was a while back, <clears throat> a few months, I think, I think you'd put up a post about, you know, our families aren't built for us to wake up in the morning, say goodbye to each other, and then see each other as we come back in. I believe that was one of your posts. And I, that really stuck with me because when you think about it, to your point at the start of kind of talking about going from Hawaii to Oregon, is that is how we are fed through the system that we go through when it comes to government education. You know, it literally, like you said, the industrial revolution, it, you, you look at the structure, it is meant for you to be able to then slide into the structure of a nine to five, right? You know, you start off, you know, you're told where to sit, when to sit, how to sit, when you can have a bathroom break, when you can go to lunch and when you can be done. And, you know, I, I think a lot about that because, I mean, for the longest time growing up, even as early as just a few years ago, you know, I had kind of the same stigma about homeschooling or unschooling. And, and when I, you know, I looked at, when I look at my sons, you know, they're, they're both vastly different in, in so many different ways, how they process things, how they experience things, how they um, emote and, and articulate their lives. You know, my son, my oldest son's sitting right over off to the side of me here. Like I, I don't hide any of this stuff from him um, or from them. They can, they can listen to what you're saying. They can hear what I'm saying and um, decide what they want to think of it as they do. But so he's loving the idea of, of unschooling so that he doesn't have to go to school because my kids are still in government education. But when I think about him specifically, since he's sitting there and what you said about your daughter is, you know, he's very creative. He's very, you know, left brain. And um, I look at what 
the last three years of his education have been and kind of how it's been a struggle. And I think how am I, and I, you know, I've said this to him and I, I share it quite a bit is like, how am I benefiting him for when he's 25 right now? Cause I'm not looking at right now, so to speak, as much as I am, I'm looking at the long game because I don't want them to experience what I did going through that system of going, Oh, well now I'm supposed to graduate college. And then I need to get the job that has a good 401k I need to get the job that will give me some vacation days. I'll have a retirement plan. Maybe I even have some stock options that are shit that will never actually pay me when I'm retired. Um, and maybe social security, but again, I'm older. So like that was an option at one point in people's lives, drastically going, if not gone now, but yeah. how am I changing that pattern to their strengths? Cause when you become an adult, Nobody, like you said, like, nobody's going to say like, Hey, you need to do three hours of English today for work. It has nothing to do with your fucking job, but yeah. you need to do it. Why? Well, cause we said, that's why, um, I, I will continue to argue. And I've had this argument with my dad again, who's a principal. I'm going, how are you, how, how is this prepping kids for when they become adults? What are you doing? And I'll say specifically like, to my dad, I mean, I'm just in general, like, what are we actually doing for these kids? How is that prepping them to go? If they want to go to college, like I tell my kids, like, you don't have to go to college. If you don't want to go to college, you don't have to. Now, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be an engineer, if you want to get into some of these specialty fields, I mean, shit, in some ways you go, you could almost do that if you spend enough time on YouTube, but, and it's free. But again, that, that'd be the times I'd say, okay, college, fine. You know, but let me, where I've gotten, and I wish I'd done it earlier in the game, is let me show you how I'm doing my life to say, hey, you can create and build on your own. You know, your daughter's saying, and it got me teared up because, you know, my son is, both of my sons have made time, you know, they made comments as kids do at all times. Dad, you seem really happy right now. Dad, you seem really sad right now. Are you upset? What's wrong? They're very, very in tune to that atmosphere and to the tension or to the freedom that your home brings. And that's right. kind of shit that I'll, I'll stay up at night about thinking like, man, I fucked up, you know, like, damn it. I'll never get that back because you know, I'm getting to the age with my kids where there's last happening every day. And, you know, last night, my son, he just turned 15 on Wednesday. And we did a, not a, I don't want to say a kitty birthday, but we went to this trampoline park and it hit me last night as I was sitting there. I was like, next year, he may not even want to spend his birthday with me. This may be the last, like we had some pizza. We, you know, we did the trampoline park thing. I got to participate. His grandparents were there. They got to participate. His little brother was there, but this may, I was like, this may be the last time because this is kind of, I mean, ideally I hope not, you know, but it might be because he's starting to become his own man. He's going to want to be with his, probably his girlfriend next year or his friends. I mean, but those things come fast and they come heavy. And so when you look at what you're talking about is that time and that focus on your family, we get it. We, it's so like, as you were talking, saying, it's so fucking simplistic. We just put so many other things in the way, like, you know, put it in a timeline. It needs to be this certain date. It needs to be this certain time. I need to make X amount of dollars because, yeah, unfortunately, we've got to make money to live and eat and all that. But they get in the way of what 
the simplistic aspect of what you're bringing here is that time with our family, the people that matter the most and not putting these unrealistic tags on what it's supposed to fucking look like. And I, I think that's, I think that's the main thing right there. The unrealistic tags, right? And um, that was the biggest, one of the biggest revelations we've had in the last, you know, three or five years is like, it's like, it doesn't, who are, who, where are those tags coming from? You know, is that coming from me and what I believe, what I believe, or is that coming from someone else and what's been given to me? And when you can differentiate, that's when you start making the difference. And, uh, you know, if like for me, it's uh, when it comes to working with parents, you know, that are trying to build something for themselves. And <clears throat> I guess this is kind of trans- transitioning into the whole parentpreneur mentality is for me, I didn't create the word, right? <laughs> but it's like having having my definition of what that means is very important. And I think that's like very important for everyone as well. It's like, you're going to have tags that are given to you and each person is going to have their definition of it. But if you don't create a definition for what that means for yourself, then you're going to have very hard time figuring out how that's actually going to impact you going forward. So like when I caught, when I talk about like parentpreneurship, parentpreneurship is the idea of putting your family first instead of work first you build a you build a business, sure, but don't let that business run you. Right, and that's where we're gonna do. It's not necessarily a first, but it's kind of a first. You took everything that we've discussed, and now it's starting to formulate into a game plan where you can not only take care of the time with your family, with your with your with your daughter, with your wife, and of course, other loved ones, right? And, and start to formulate a plan where you can keep that as a consistency. And what we're going to do, this is the first is, because I've got, as they say in the biz, a hard stop. But this is a, I feel like it's a perfect stop as you bring up Parentpreneur, because we can start to really dive into on the part two of the InRush podcast, as far as how that started to formulate. And, and where that work and that mission has really started to carry. And what I love about this is, you know, when I, when I first started the podcast, I would do what I heard other people doing, you know, and that's going like, Hey, if you really like this and you want our mission to continue, like, like, share, subscribe, all that bullshit. It's changed for me now because it's, it's like, man, that's so surface level. Like, yes, that needs to fucking happen. But realistically, that's not what this is about. And I would never ask somebody to be on a podcast like this that has a mission that you've got and some of these other people and look at it that way because that's not what this is. It's a fucking call to action. And the call to action, as I've said, is if you've listened to this, if you've made it to this point in the podcast and you haven't turned it off, well, now you have a responsibility to me, to Ian, to your family, to your friends and go, I now need to implement what I've heard today. I need to at least chew on this a little bit to find out what it means for me. And maybe, maybe what Ian and I discussed today, what Ian brought to the table today is not necessarily something that's tangible for your world, 
But maybe it is for your brother. Maybe it is for your friend down the road. Maybe it is for your spouse. So now it's your job to say, hey, come look at this. And you have no excuses because in this podcast, when it's published, every bit of information, every link, every social media page is going to be on here. So get them into that direction because I know for a fact, what you'll hear in part two is that Ian is not going to have one single fucking issue with you or the spouse or the neighbor down the street or the brother to reach out to you or reach out to him to even just start a conversation. Say, maybe I need this or maybe they need this. Can you help? Can you guide? That's what this is for. Now in that, if you decide, hey, maybe I need to hear some more. Maybe I really want to catch part two. Subscribe for fuck's sake. So I can keep doing this because I, I would like to be able to consistently do this and focus solely on that. But if you don't, fine, we don't need you. We'll figure it out another way because we're going to keep going. So that said, this is Navigating the Intentional Life podcast. And I am Justin Copeland. And I am proud of the message that we brought today. Ian has been an absolute fucking privilege to discuss this with you. Uh, we will obviously offline work out when part two is going to take place, ideally sooner rather than later. And we'll get this out so we can continue this story. Other than that, for those of you listening, thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart for following along. Take care, keep going, and we'll speak to you soon.